0: Good morning. I'm not Micah, <laughs> but I like Micah a lot. Micah's, Micah's my friend, and uh, we were on staff together at Berean before he came here. And uh, your gain was my loss. But however, I am extremely happy to see what he's doing here, and and I'm glad that that uh, you are able to experience his wonderful gift of teaching, and his heart, his heart for the Lord. He's. Uh, He's an exceptional person, and he is one, one of those rare individuals who crosses generations uh, in, in a way that not very many people can do. So, so I think he, he has some special things ahead of him. I don't know what it all is, but you all are going to be a part of it. So I, um, Micah came into my office, oh, I don't even remember, six months ago or something, and, and he said... Um, I'm just wondering, he said, would you like to fill in for me uh, on uh, Labor Day? And and he talked to me about it and kind of told me a little bit about what was going on and and what kind of an audience I'd have and whatever. And then he said, would that be fun for you? And that was such a sweet, sweet thing because I thought, oh, yeah. I I have been in ministry for a lot of years, but I have never, ever been allowed to give a Sunday morning message to men and women. So (laughs) I'm going, yay. (laughs) It's just really, really special for me to be able to do this. And and at this uh, point in my life, as sort of a transitional point in a different kind of way, I'll tell you some of that. Um, I just—you just never know, you know. God just loves to surprise us. <laughs> he just loves to open up his arms and bless us. And and this is that kind of a blessing for me. So I've just been walking around smiling all morning, and I'm so happy to to meet you and to to see the hearts of your leadership, and um, and see what God's going to do. So uh, I hope I hope you'll come. Those of you who are new. Um, Dan mentioned that a lot of you are new to this morning, that you will come back and see Micah. Um, but, but I will try to uh, give you something this morning from the Lord. Um, I wanted to, uh, th- this is a, Labor Day is, you know, it's kind of a transitional day, isn't it? I don't know if you knew, and, and as an old history teacher, I'll bore you for a minute. Um, it actually started out in 1872 in Canada, and the people were demonstrating for a 50-hour, 50 58-hour work week. They were hoping to get it down to that, and, and it, w- it grew in strength there. And somewhere along the way, about ten years later, it came to New York, in in the United States and of course obviously if people were going to participate in Labor Day at that point they had to take off from work (laughs) it wasn't a paid holiday and I don't think they had very many and uh, and so they would uh, do demonstrations and of course try to get better working conditions at that time and and as uh, that has grown uh that that grew in a tendency and eventually became a national holiday. However, now our labor force is different and we don't have those kinds of issues. And now it's actually a vacation day. It's a, it's a day of transition from the the what would we call less scheduled recreational summer. I hope your summer got some of that in it. And and now we move into fall. And fall start school, and we, we kind of ramp up our, our planning sometimes. Um, it, it's just kind of a kickoff point, and all of a sudden your calendar gets really, really full, doesn't it? It, it? With families, it gets fuller and fuller, and I see families struggling with that more and more, as well as just people in general with this, um, I don't know what it is. There's a kind of a constant need for busyness, but also... Um, There's so much coming at you all the time, so much information, so much... uh, I was laughing with my daughters because (laughs) we were talking about parenting, you know. It's always interesting to be on the other side of parenting and hear from your children their views of what you did or didn't do. And, and, And then you also hear all those stories of what they did that you didn't know. And some of it you just assume they kept to themselves. It's just... You know who, who cares at this point? I'd rather not know. But, but uh, I, you, you hear these things, but we were talking about how when my oldest daughter was born, all there was was Dr. Spock. There, there just wasn't a whole lot, and, and he wasn't real engrossing. And so you, you just, you just kind of um, uh, punted a little bit, and pretty much you did things the way it was done to you. So that was what you had to model from was your family, and that was really kind of what you knew. Then uh, Dr. James Dobson, do you you're also young. You probably don't know some of you. Some of you know who Dr. James Dobson is. He came on the on the foreground, and all of a sudden, I remember going to his first video series on the screen, big screen, you know. And I don't remember. It wasn't film, I don't think, but it might have been. I don't know. But anyway, I remember going to that, and oh, this was wonderful to hear from someone different. And at that point, he was just more family-oriented in his ministry, not political. And um, Dr. Dobson would come on the radio. and, And my youngest daughter, Katie, used to say to me, Mommy, what time is Dr. Dobson coming? Because every morning when that came on, I would have to turn that on, and that was her time to color and do things. So, so anyway, you now you've got so much parenting information. <laughs> I don't know what you do. Yeah, I mean you've got to be confused because there's so many techniques and so many ideas, and then you've got your mothers in the background who are saying, "I don't think any of this makes sense." And so you're, you're getting uh, you're getting information from all of all points and and a uh, lot of paper we're supposed to be going paperless but we don't seem to be a lot of paper and, and a lot of access to anything through the internet and all of that and sometimes that that makes things hard. So, we need I thought Labor Day, Labor Day is the end in of the summer season. It is the beginning of the chaos of the year and it's time to start Christmas shopping if you haven't. It's you know it's just around the corner and you feel like, okay, hang on, here we go. And so what better time to talk about the topic of rest? And I want to um, start by giving you some synonyms for rest, but I thought maybe you'd like to give me some first. I noticed last week that Michael lets you call things out, and I love that. So <coughs> could you just yell out to me if you're comfortable? What, when, you, when you hear the word rest, what comes to mind? Sleep. Sleep. Peace. What? Peace. Peace, Peace yes. I'm sorry. Relax. Relax. Relax my hearing. is you know and that's not so good. Relax what else? Freedom. Freedom, yeah. What else? Demet. Demet. Come on. So, okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I looked up I looked up on the um, internet some synonyms for rest and here are some of the ones that I got if I can find them here. Um, There were a lot of them. Break, calm, cessation, ease, halt, holiday, interlude, leisure, lull, pause, peace, recess. I I remember loving recess when I was a kid. Recreation, relaxation, rejoice, silence, sleep, stay, stop, tranquility, vacation. All really, really nice words words that make us feel good. Probably bring back some good memories even. And uh, I want to suggest to you, just for our purposes today, that we are going to take a definition of it as uh, mental or spiritual calm or tranquility. So I want you to look at rest, which it, it can be sleep, it can be a designated vacation, but rest is a state of mind. Rest is a way of being. And if we can learn what that means, we will live better. We will live better. We will live better lives. We will live more productive lives. And we will live more God-centered lives. Now, I don't I don't know my audience as well as I, I used to uh, when I was teaching a lot and knew my class. But I'm just guessing <laughs> that you come from a lot of different places. Some of you may have had some bad church experiences, some of you may have some wonderful church experiences, some of you may have given up on God because you didn't think he was listening, some of you might have wonderful, relaxed relationships with God. We're, we're all coming from different people, different places. I've, I belong to a lot of different churches. <laughs> a lot of, I was thinking of all the denominations, <laughs> my husband, well, we, we never thought of churches being a denomination. I was raised Lutheran, but I have belonged to Presbyterian Covenant, Evangelical Free, Baptist, I'm trying to think of all the different denominations that I have attended at one time or another because I was drawn to to that body. And uh, left for for different kinds of reasons, children, all all kinds of all kinds of different things that interrupted and seemed to lead me somewhere else. Now I'm not I'm not endorsing church hopping, <laughs> but but some but there is a certain amount of that that sometimes goes on as we search for where God is taking us at that at that time. But ultimately, that isn't what it's about. Church Church is a vehicle by which we reach hopefully that that's what, that's what you want to do that's what you want to do here is is connect with God's people and and uh, with God himself and God says in his word that the church is important it community is, um, is important it's important to have other people around you who are listening to you and helping you work through your issues and helping you to grow and and who are doing that in such a way that it works and I believe that there is power, inherent power, in the Word of God, and there is power in His community of people as we come together. He blesses. He blesses that union. So, uh, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about about my journey. I think of all of us have a faith journey that may have involved many stops, many different places, but the we are all on a journey, and we all know how it begins with birth, and it ends with death. That's that's the one thing we're certain of, but our journey here on earth is a journey that God wants to use to make us better and more aligned with himself and fit for what, what comes afterwards, um, and, that, and that's a glorious thing to know, that there is, there is an afterwards. So I want my, my first point, the thing that I want to say to you, is that we know we do what we do because we know what we know. You are driven by what you know. Now, by knowing, I don't mean that that it's always right. I don't always mean that it's the same thing. I don't mean you don't grow and change in that. But at any one point, you you are going to do what you do because you know what you know. So how do I get myself to a place where I know truth? What is what is truth? Pontius Pilate, before he crucified Jesus, said, "What is truth?" He just kind of threw that out there. He wasn't really looking for the answer. However, we do desire to know truth. Well, I I found truth in God's word and in the study of God's word. Initially, uh, in my case, I went to a parachurch organization, uh, Bible study fellowship, and that was the first time, first time, I had ever began to understand how I could grow personally in my faith. And although I had been churched for many years and I had desired to know things, um, the verse that I want to share with you at this point is Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I love that verse. It, it, that's what I'd like on my tombstone. I don't know if I've told you that or not, but that's what I want. Um, Be still and know that I am God. It's my life's verse it's a verse that God gave to me very personally. I came and I received the Lord. It was around Christmas, 1970, I guess. 72, thank you. 1972. Um, and and I... Uh, I accepted Christ at that point. Now I had been, as I said, I'd been in church for years. I'd been confirmed. I took all that seriously. I did. But then I got into college, and I, uh, I didn't, I didn't really know. I was fortunate enough to marry a Christian husband who, out, you know, in disagreement with God's word, decided that he'd take me on anyway, and and that w- that was a good thing for me. Um, it wasn't that I w- didn't believe in God or that I, I didn't have some foundational things, but I had. I I just hadn't found what I was looking for, and I knew there was something more, and I didn't know how to get at it. For the life of me, I didn't know how to get at whatever it was that helped you to begin to know God. So when I went to Bible Study Fellowship, this was the (laughs) eye-breaking moment. This woman up front stood up there and said, you know, you can begin this journey. It's a journey of commitment, but you... Have to, have to make a first step. And she said, so when you go home today, you can just kneel at anywhere you want to. You know, you might want to get on your knees. You don't have to get on your knees, but if you want to, you can. And, and you can just say, you know, God, I'm a sinner, and I don't, I don't feel so great about, about my life. Um, things aren't going so well for me. But I am going to now commit as much of myself as I understand to as much of you as I get. And I'm going to ask you to, to give me a chance and, and take control of my life. And I know that I need this. I'd never heard anyone say that before. I didn't know how to, how to get in touch with God. I didn't know the words. I didn't know what to do. So So I went home and I did that. And then I had a honeymoon with God. It was great. I remember that year. I just I was so full of it. You know, you really a lot of times they say you should be really quiet for the first year you're a Christian, but I'm just not ever really quiet. And so so I I was just out doing all kinds of things. I remember Billy Graham came to the cities that year, and, and I walked all up and down my neighborhood, invited everyone to come to my house to pray. One person did. Um, but, but I was just, I just was, whatever I could do. Anyone challenged me to do anything, I'd try it. Okay. So, but this is where my story really began. A year from then, I was pregnant with my second child, I was really excited. I mean, what more glorious thing to become a Christian and then to carry a new life. And I'd already had a, a beautiful little girl, and I had loved that too, but that was different th- from this because now I had this this expectation. This child was a gift from God. This child was being created in a wonderful wonderful way and i was just so much more cognizant of it all and so excited now she was born december 29th but at christmas just right before christmas i went out and i don't remember what i was doing i was i I know i was delivering some gifts and last-minute things with people and it was a beautiful beautiful night and the stars were very very clear and it was just one of those perfect um evenings like a like a, a card like a christmas card and the snow was falling, and I was listening to the radio because I just discovered that there was Christian radio. I didn't know there were Christian bookstores or Christian radio or any of that stuff, and so I was listening to something. And the theme of what the person was saying was, be still and know that I am God. And it was just a perfect thing with the, with the moment. And I was expecting this baby. I, I'm going here. I'm expecting this baby. And, and I was all... Um, I was just excited. I was anticipating my party. Well, m- my little girl was born, and it was kind of a rocky labor and delivery. Her heart tones were kind of bad, and they they were having trouble knowing what to do and and um, anyway, she so she came out pretty blue. But I saw a mop of black hair and and just but I was really um, exhausted, so I didn't see anything more of her. And the next morning, this doctor came in. Didn't know him? i um, never seen him. I'd be, been going to this same pediatric group for years, but I'd never seen this man. And, of course, he had steely white hair, and he had piercing blue eyes, and he was in a suit. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he sat down in the chair, and he said, Mrs. Hillicu, you have given birth to a mongoloid baby. I didn't know what that meant. Couldn't think of a thing. But in that moment... So going from the starry night and the the Christmas Eve services and everything, I was so ready for my party. And in the middle of that, what I remember was I started to hyperventilate. And I remember what seemed like I was in the eye of a storm, like you see a tornado storm. And I got into the middle. And in that middle, a voice, which seemed to me to be audio at that time, said, be still and know that I am God. And from that moment to, the mom to throughout all of the ensuing years, I knew that God was in this. I knew that God was with me, and he went so out of his way to tell me. He gave me what I needed at that moment to accept this thing that I didn't know. Uh, uh, you know, you can imagine all the thoughts that were coming. And um, I'm not going to go into uh, all the details because Micah said I can't talk all day. so I, um, But leave it, leave it to say at this point that, that uh, uh, Lizzie was born with a very, very bad heart condition. And when she was six weeks old, she um, uh, had her first bout with pneumonia, congestive heart failure. She was in the hospital. And that was the beginning of really six years of a lot of turmoil, a lot of illness, a lot of sickness. But I had my verse, and I had encountered God in a way that allowed me to commit to him. And that's the first thing I want to talk to you about. To find peace, you need to have commitment. Commitment is something that we all have. We all believe in something. If it's only ourselves, if it's only uh, our families, if it's our work, but everybody's committed to something. What you commit to is what you will come to know because that's your focus. That's the thing you're going to enter into. And when you commit, you don't know everything there is. You know, I think of, of marriage, for instance, as just being an example, but there could be many others, where you you stand up there and you <laughs> say to this person, you know, I promise to live with you and goodness and Poverty and in health, and I, I promise all these things. And you're staring at each other in the, their eyes. Maybe, um, maybe you aren't. <laughs> but you are, you are, you are in madly in love, and you commit these things, and you don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Not a clue. Not a clue. You think you know that person, and you do. You do. You've been dating them now, but you've been at your best, you know, really, probably most of the time. And and now, and now you start out. You start out. Well, when you start out with God, that's why I say I love the way I was introduced to it. I am giving you as much as I know about me it, to as much as I know about you. And I'm entering into this, but I'm committing to you. I'm saying to you, I'm, I'm done very well on my own. I want you there. And you, and you give it a try. God is willing to take you on that basis. He is. And He's got broad shoulders. God, God God, is able to handle everything and more than you can ever dream of. And he's there. He's there in your corner in a way that you will only know, you will only be able to experience it. There's no other way to do it except to, to, to launch out there. And to say, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm, I'm going to unite with you. And that's the way it is with marriage, too, if I can say that. Um, because there will be a lot of ups and downs with marriage. A lot of ups and downs. And, and there's going to be even some years, years that are tough. But the statistics tell us that if you hang on, if you hang in there, you're going to be glad you did. Because it grows it grows. You complete I- plead each other's sentences eventually. You know what each other is thinking. You have history. Um, I've been married now for 42 years. You, so you're supposed to know. <laughs> um, 42 years. 69 I was married in. Um, whatever that comes out to. Uh, we, were, uh, we were young. And we, <laughs> we didn't know. But in this journey, in this journey of life, it's only bonded us together. Now, I don't know, I can't imagine my life without my husband because he's the only one that knows all these things. It's, it's our children, it's everything. And, and that doesn't mean that, that we haven't had our fights and we haven't had our ups and downs, but it's so worth it. So it's the same with God. You commit to God and you give him a chance and you walk the journey and you begin and you begin. But, you can, but something as simple as be still and know that I am God is huge now. When you say "be still" to your children, if you think of yourself as, as you, if you have children or a child, if you if you've got a child, but then you say "be still." When you, when you think about your tone of voice when you say "be still," I don't I don't know, but I don't think you would probably yell "be still." You know, you know, you, you might yell something else, but but not probably. "Be still," you often say in a very whispery kind of voice. "Be still and know." "Be still and know" is is be quiet, wait on me, calm down, and think about who I am. I am here for you, I am in control, and I am there. And that, that will instantly put some, what would I say, Some give you a, a place of calm, a place of peace. We can't think when we're all mixed up. I got all mixed up, my computer wouldn't work when I was doing my outline. I was totally frustrated. And then and I tried to get help from uh, from a gal in the office and she didn't really want to help me. And she and so she pressed all kinds of buttons and I said, Okay, now how did you do that? And she said, I don't know. You just you just move things around and you do it. And I said, That's not gonna work. So I did that too though. I got to a place and I and I did it and I erased everything. And I'd been there for four hours. I came home and I just about Ran over him. And <laughs> I, re- I was, I did, I did. I was really mad. I was just really mad. And he said the absolute wrong thing to me about, um, wh- where, where have you been? He didn't know I'd gone back to the office. Where have I been? You don't even know where I am. <laughs> and it doesn't matter that I was there because I've lost everything. So anyway, be still and know that I got in the chaos speaks to all of that. Relax, think. So, Let's move on then to our second point because as we, when we acknowledge that, that we know he is God with as much as, as we've got, we can move on to the next step and we know that our sovereign God is always in control. Now that's a really, really important point. We know he's always in control because if he's not, he's not God. So if you're going to give God a chance, you've got to acknowledge the fact he knows what he's doing and he's in control because otherwise he's not. Then you're still in control or other people are still in control and you're still out there dangling by a rope. And so now you've decided that you're going to trust this this person who's bigger and more powerful than you and who can get things done that you can't get done. So the verse that I want to use for this because it was a sticking point for me for years was, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that verse. I think it's really, really good. But bad things happen to good people. There's a lot of stuff that comes at us. And God doesn't always seem to be there. You you don't hear him. Where's that still small voice? I still give my verse, but but God, where are you? Why are you allowing these things? Why aren't you changing things? And and for me that came at me for years and years with my daughter who was uh, was ill. She was in and out of the hospital. She developed seizures for lack of oxygen. We had some good years. We had about ten really Pretty good years in there, but but it, the first six were very very hard. And when she started her teen years, they told us she's going to have a lot of problems. You know, you just can't live the way she, the way she 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 had a big hole in her heart. The, the pressure in her blood vessels was enormously high. Her blood was so thick that um, they would they used to thin it. That that's now considered kind of like putting what did they used to put those squealy things they used to put on people to. Think, I think he used them for fishing, <laughs> eels or whatever they were. I don't know what what is it that sucks your blood, leeches. Leeches, yeah, they used to put leeches on people's arms, and and now they kind of consider this freeze this procedure kind of like doing leeches. But they used to take her blood out, and her blood would be um, just black because it was so thick. And it was, um, the, the, bu- the body was saying the kid needs more oxygen, so they, it would make more oxygen-carrying cells, and that would make the blood get really, really thick. So periodically they think, well, we'll try to thin this. Well, and, and, you know, that's neither here nor there, but that was a procedure we went through. But when they would try to pull this stuff out, it was like sometimes they couldn't even get it out. It would just clot before they could even, you know, get it out. So, so she had this thick, crummy blood, and she was the sweetest thing. And I'd look at it, and I'd think, God, God, why? Why does this have to happen? Why, can't, why, why, can't, why won't you fix it? If you will fix it, I made deals with him, lots of deals. If you'll fix it, I will give all the glory to you. I'll do whatever you want with my life. Please, Lord, just take, let my little girl have a chance, a fighting chance. And it just didn't get any better. Well, so I would read this verse because I liked the sound of this verse, and I'd say, where's the rest? Where's the answers? Why do these things keep happening? But now I've studied this verse more, and I'm on the other side of a lot of things. But the Jews used to use the word yoke, and do you know what a yoke is? For ox, the ox that were pulling in the, in the fields, it was, it was made of wood. Uh, they used the word yoke for entering in submission to the law. Now the law was really good. I mean, the law came from God, and it was all right, and it was always good. The problem was that you couldn't keep it, and and the Jews weren't weren't, weren't they weren't happy with just ten laws. I mean, you know, we aren't either in the church, are we? We're not happy with just ten laws. We've got to make all kinds of rules, or we just don't feel good. We got to put a lot of boundaries around ourselves and around everybody else, and they better attend to it. And so, mm-hmm. so we. So we do that kind of thing, and the Jews were really good at it. They wrote whole books, you know. They had hundreds and hundreds of what you could do and couldn't do, and how to, to do it, and all of that. And so this, the law, which was supposed to bring you into freedom, because you just had to keep the rules, didn't because you never could. And so Jesus Christ came. We sang a wonderful, wonderful song about that, how He came and took took our took our sins on the cross, and that's you know another topic. Maybe Michael will let me come back someday and talk about some of those things. But anyway, the um, but this yoke, and I'd think, no, it's not easy. It's not light. It's heavy, and it's killing me. And then I, I, I was lo- looking up the word one day, and in uh, Greek, the word Christos, which is the, the word for isn't this interesting? Christos, which is sort of like Christ, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, is the word for light. Christ and rest. It's both in that word. And, and so we have Christ, which means well-fitting. And this is what I came to know. I said to the Lord, all right, if I have to go through all this and my daughter has to do all this, I've got, I got some rules. I want her to be happy. I want her to be loved and I want you to use this. I want you to use this. I want to know that this brings glory to your kingdom and whatever. And and the Lord showed me that I could be her mouthpiece. That she couldn't speak, she couldn't share her story, but I could. I could use that story and I could teach her of the Lord's sufficiency. So we began a different journey. That changed the way I looked at this. Jesus was a carpenter, and there's a, you know, there's a lot of legends and stories. We don't know what's true <coughs> and what isn't. We don't know a lot about y- Jesus' growing up years. However, he was a carpenter. We know that. So he probably made ox, the things that the ox goes into. He probably he was a carpenter. But the thing was that when you were a good carpenter, you fit that, that yoke perfectly to the animal and it wasn't just a one time deal you adjusted it you made sure that that it wasn't chafing anywhere on the oak's body that the that it could that it, that the yoke would fit so that the animal could pull easily and efficiently and it would it would fit what does that tell us what does that tell us the circumstances of your lives are designed for a purpose by god it doesn't mean that they'll be easy it wasn't easy to watch my daughter. But they will be right if you pull together with the Lord in the yoke that he has designed for you. So, then the challenge becomes, okay, Lord, use it. And I threw that out as a challenge to the Lord. I, all right, I want you to use this. And and he, and he did that. He took me into a position where I taught uh, uh, women in in a weekly in-and-out thing all the time. And you know what was wonderful? Liz was like a universal language. Nobody cared or, or, or was offended at what Liz said. Nobody was offended when I used that as an, ex- as an example. She was powerful, and her, her life became a teaching tool, and she loved that. She was my biggest cheerleader. She loved the fact she loved to come to my class and see th- and see the women. she was a little star and she definitely thought she was and she was she was a v- she loved the attention. Um, God God used that and they had told us, you know that first of all, she probably wasn't going to make it to, to five or six because she was so sick. it just it just didn't look like it was going to happen for us th- and, the, and there was no surgery. Um, then, they, when she got to six, they said, okay, you're probably going to have some good years, which I said, we did have some good years in there. And then in her teen years, it's going to go downhill, and it's going to go downhill bad. And in her teen years, Liz was ver- started seizuring. There was all, there was all kind, kinds of problems, um, but she just kept living. <laughs> no, b- got, you, no one had ever told her because we didn't ever tell her how long she was supposed to live. And Liz loved life she loved the Lord. She trusted God. She didn't question us when we would say, you know, Jesus understands. And someday this is all going to end and we're all going to be together in heaven and it's going to be a really wonderful thing. She never, ever questioned that. She believed us. She wanted to, she liked to read the Bible before she, she went to bed. She liked to pray. Sometimes she prayed such profound prayers that I couldn't Figure, I couldn't tell you where the language came from. I couldn't tell you how she could have such profound thoughts, and she loved the fact. Uh, one time she was seizing, and she uh, she was it, she was bad. The school called me. She was still in public schools at that time, and I came and uh, we finally got the seizing under control, and she was on her oxygen. But it was the day that I taught my class, and there w- just wasn't anybody to step in for me, and so. Um, she knew what day of the week it was, and uh, I s- she said, Mommy, you're, you're, you need to go, you, you teach your class today. And I said, yes. I said, I, I said but you're more important than that. So I said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stay here with you. And she said, no, you go. The ladies need their lesson. She said, you go. I'll be here when you get back. And so I left. I left and I gave that lecture and, and I went back but she was a pillar of strength through all of this. I just I don't I don't, I can't, I couldn't I could tell so many stories but but we won't. Um, the burden of that which is given in love and cared for in love is always light. When a burden comes from the Lord even though it's hard and you don't understand it and it seems wrong by any earthly measure. When you accept it in love and you, and you handle it in love, it will become light. It's a miracle of God. But because that yoke is designed to fit. My third point is that God equips us. God equips us. And the verse for that, I want to read it, because I want to read more of it than I initially gave to I just want to go a little little further. Um, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his, underst- by, and his understanding no one can you fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not faint. That was my verse, my empowering verse. And there's so much to learn in that verse. You know, at first, it it, it seems like it's in um, reverse order, doesn't it? You know, we start out walking, and then we run, and then we fly. Doesn't it seem like that's the way it should go? But, But God puts it in reverse order in this. We all want to fly. We all want to run. Maybe not real far, but we, but, we, but we like the idea that we can run. Do you remember when you, my, my little grandchildren I just bought them some new shoes for school? And the first thing they said is, Nani, when we get home, we're going to go out in the backyard and we're going to try them out. We're going to run. And they were so excited to get out there. And and when when we are healthy and strong, we love to run. And then... It's good to balk, too. It's good to be able to walk. <laughs> I'm thinking about, I, w- I was looking at some, a little old lady with her walker. Lizzie had a walker. Um, but, uh, but you know how they put, why do they put, I know why they do. Those, those green tenish, tennis balls that they put on the ends. <laughs> I'm thinking, this poor little old woman who, sh- who looked like a very elegant woman, and she's got a walker, and she's got those stupid tennis balls down there. And I'm thinking, you know, they ought to be able to invent something a little more, uh, you know, less, what would I say? Garish <laughs> those bright green tennis balls, um, but but she's happy to be able to walk. Um, but this this is the way this is what I think. Um, what God is saying, He's putting it in, in reverse order, and He's saying, when you when you fly, when you do a flyover, you get perception, don't you? You get a different perception. You get a good feeling of the lay of the land. Do you get the details? Uh uh-uh. uh Not all the details. You'd have to go down, wouldn't you? But, but you? but you get to fly over. You get a feeling, and there's a feeling of wonder at that. We all, we all love to fly. We all love that, that energy that, that would come from that idea. Um, and when we're running, we gain strength. And we feel strong when you're able to run. You feel strong. And you, and you, f- and you gain strength when you're running. So that's, that's a good thing, too. So sometimes we do run. But in the end, we have to come down out of the skies or off the mountain peak. We have to stop running because we can't run forever. And most of our walk, most of our life is a walk. And, and, and the Bible refers to to our, uh, what, what we do in life as a walk, our Christian walk we call, or, or uh, Jesus says, follow me. Know, so th- there's this, this sense of that most of it is done on the ground walking. I'd like to say to you, you will walk you will not walk well if you haven't gained the overall percepe- perception. You need to have this become strong, to keep walking at a steady pace. You need to be very strong. And so you ne- you need to run, but in the end, you will walk. And in the end, that's where most of life will be lived out in the ins and outs. But God will give you all of these things, he's saying. I will give you perception. I will give you moments of exhilaration. I will give you strength. And I will give you the courage and the tenacity and the perseverance to continue to walk. Lizzie didn't die when she was a teenager. Lizzie died last December 14th, two weeks short of her 37th birthday. For 40 years, including her older sister, I was a mother. And for all of those years, I always had a child. I had a child that needed me, who needed me more as she grew older, not less. A child that made me laugh, child who made me slow down a child that God sent to teach me what it was to give up throw it all in the air and say God I will rest in your will for my life I will rest in what you give me and I will laugh and I will cry but I will hang on and God has shown me that he is good that he is kind I know today that Lizzie is in heaven, but I have never been in a harder place. I've never missed anyone so much. I've never felt somewhat without knowing exactly where I go from here. I don't know what the rest of my life holds, but I will be still, and I will know that He is God, and that He has a plan, Prosper and not to harm me or those I love. Now go.